0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Um, To this point in Nehemiah, Nehemiah has finally gotten the wall done. And the people, um, to this point, this is really the point that Nehemiah has dreamed about. And uh, for, from the very beginning, chapter 11 is literally what Nehemiah envisioned from the very first time that he went into the King Artaxerxes in chapter 1. And when he had heard that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and the temple sat unprotected, the work of God was limping along, it broke him. So we come to Nehemiah chapter 11 is where we're going to be tonight. And Nehemiah had such a heart for God and such a heart for Jerusalem back at the beginning... That, his, that, that he and his people, they risked their lives to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I mean, he started by risking his life to just go in and talk to the king. But this whole process has about, been about them risking their lives for something they thought was important. Uh, the king saw his passion right there in, in that meeting. He knew the character of Nehemiah. And he basically said, Nehemiah, I'm going to write you a blank check. Whatever it is that you want to accomplish in Jerusalem, I'm behind it. And he gave him every resources that he needed to see it done. And that was months ago. That was months before we get here to Nehemiah chapter 11. And now it's all come to pass. I don't know if that's ever happened for you where you had a big project and and you worked on it for months and months. And when it finally came to fruition, when you finally got to see the ending, um, it made all the time worth it. And maybe that's a good description of Alex and Taylor tonight. You know, a baby is months and months and you're waiting and you're anticipating. And when you finally see that little face, and you've got to see that little face because she's adorable. But when you finally see that face, you're like, that was all worth it. That's where Nehemiah is at. They've gone through the rebuilding of the walls. They've gone through the reviving of the people. And then they come to Nehemiah chapter 11, and it's time to settle the city. It's time to actually, now that the walls are done, the temple is ready, the worship has been reinstated. It's time to bring people into the city. And that's essentially what he does here in Nehemiah 11. And so, real quickly, we're just, we're just going to stand and read the first couple of verses. Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And it says, And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem... The rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So we come to this place where they're trying to figure out how to settle the city, and some cast lots, but then some volunteer. And I want to consider those that willingly offered themselves to be in Jerusalem. The rest of the list here is just, again, recounting the list. Nehemiah was big on lists. He was big, I think, I really think part of it was he wanted, obviously, the history to be preserved. But I think we see here that through his preservation of these lists, God's preservation of the list, that God cares about every individual. And I'm grateful for that. I, that's not my point tonight. But I just want to point out that when you willingly offer yourself for God, he takes note of it. He notices it. And that's, the, that's what I want to see tonight. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, thank you for this opportunity to bring your word. I thank you for the guests we have here and for our folks, the, the faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you bless them and bless our time. Help us to help this to be profitable in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the main focus of our text tonight, I'm just going to jump right in here this evening. And uh, the, main, the main focus of the text, like I said, it's the settlement of the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah had been thinking about this moment for months. I mean, it's been on his mind for months and it's finally here. But one thing that had to be decided uh, was in how to settle Jerusalem and who was actually going to live in Jerusalem. See, Nehemiah Nehemiah had a vision or a desire to see jerusalem filled with god's people it's always been god's desire to fill jerusalem with his people it wasn't enough for nehemiah to rebuild the walls and revive the people it was meant to be occupied it does no good for you to build a house and make it beautiful and then decide not to live in it and that's what's happening here he's looking for ways to settle the city Jer- Jer- Jerusalem has, been, has historically been the center of God's work on earth. It's the location he chose for his people to settle. And it will, be, it will be the center of God's work, even through the millennial reign of Christ. And after that, we know there will be a new Jerusalem where the saved will live for eternity. But Jerusalem on earth has always been part of God's plan. That's where he wants his people to dwell. That's where, that's where his people are supposed to inhabit. And it seems easy enough, except that there have always been challenges to living in earthly Jerusalem. Uh, Enemies. Have always been surrounding the city of Jerusalem. It seems like even today it, it's full of it's full of uh, turmoil and and chaos. I mean, the, so enemies have always been a part of Jerusalem. The sin of the people has always been an issue, and that God wants them to dwell there, and yet they can't seem to stay out of their own way. I mean, there, there it seems like there was always someone uh, sieging the city. And now, and we know in eternity, the New Jerusalem will be perfect. There won't be any troubles there. And I'm looking forward to that day. But, but God's people occupying God's city has been an issue for, the long, for a long time. And even today, you can go to Jerusalem, you can go to, to Israel, and, and you can see it and tour it. But there, there, the disputes over parts of the city, even now, cause all kinds of turmoil. There are places that, that you don't go in Jerusalem. It's one of the more hotly disputed locations on earth. But even in Nehemiah's day Jerusalem was it was the target of the enemies and yet Nehemiah had a desire to see it populated because for a city to be great and prosper it's got to be populated there there needs to be people there And during the exile for 70 years, it was essentially just a pile of rubble. And the temple was destroyed, the walls were torn down, nothing was going on. And so when Zerubbabel and Joshua um, brought back the first wave of Jews back to Jerusalem, they rebuilt the temple, it took them 15 to 20 years to do that. But then it sat unprotected for a number of years, unutilized largely, until Ezra came by about 60 years later and started to try to, re, to repair the temple, reinstate the worship. And then about 13 years after Ezra, along comes Nehemiah to build the walls. So I would just want you to think about that. You've got a period of some say up to 160 years or so that Jerusalem just sat there not really being used for God's work. And yet it's God's city. It's the place that he wants his city or his people to dwell. And it's the place that, that he wants his work to be centered around. And so Nehemiah, once the walls are done, uh, he, he didn't just build them to be torn down again. He built them so that they could, they could protect the people that lived there. Uh, and he wants Jerusalem to be filled with God's people. But there's a problem. Living in Jerusalem had lost some of its luster. Living in Jerusalem wasn't quite as popular as it used to be. Think about it again. If We'll just use the, 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 the time frame of 160 years. Let's suppose that Jerusalem had sat empty for 160 years and a good portion of that time it was just a pile of rubble. And the remnants of the people that still lived in Israel, they would not have stayed in Jerusalem... I mean, it was torn down. The temple was torn down. The walls were torn down. And for those that stayed there, they would have settled in areas outside the city. So essentially, they moved to the suburbs of the area and Jerusalem sat largely uninhabited. And while the new city leaders and the temple workers, they lived in Jerusalem now in Nehemiah 11, most of the other people, they had established homes on property outside the city. They had settled into their lives most people likely would not have found a move into Jerusalem very appealing. And here are some reasons why. Uh, to live in Jerusalem meant you would have had to had to shifted your view of material things. Meaning, if you, uh, would, you would have had to give up uh, maybe possibly land and a home outside of the city and move into the city. And I was talking to somebody just this morning visiting And they just moved here from from Washington State and before then they had lived in the mountains in California and they were talking about how moving to Sioux Falls has been a huge adjustment because it's the city life. And they were used to living in the country, and now they're living in the city. And, and Sioux Falls isn't really even a major city, like what we would think of of large cities in our country. But for them, it's been a huge adjustment. and They're just trying to get used to life in the city. And can you imagine then, if you've lived in the country, and you live on property, and you have space to grow, and you've got room to operate, and now you've got to potentially move from, uh, from a place where there's space... ...into the city that's laid in rubble for 160 years. That's not really that appealing. I and mean, there's a lot of agriculture. Most people, or many people, um, likely had to give up their livelihood... ...and start a new job, or have a new business if they were going to move into Jerusalem. So, to live in Jerusalem, you would have also had to say goodbye, to potentially, to friends and family if you lived in a different village most people had established lives outside the city they probably enjoyed a certain level of peace and quiet and tranquility and a sense of community and they would have to have to give that up Uh, You'd be exchanging the benefits of the countryside for the city that had been a ghost town. You'd have had to walk in maybe to a home that you had to renovate. And you had to leave what you were comfortable with to walk into a place that that you'd have to work on. Here's a big one. To live in Jerusalem. One of the reasons it wasn't appealing is because to live in Jerusalem, you would become a target for the enemy. Uh, So... For much of Jerusalem's history, again, it's been at war. And yes, now there are strong walls around this city. But that also meant that the people, the enemies around them, we already know by going through Nehemiah, the enemies have taken notice. The enemies have started attacking. And and maybe not even just with with swords and spears. They have started attacking verbally. And they started making threats. And they they they're, they've got a, now a large target on their back because the walls are rebuilt. So think about it: if you were choosing to live maybe in some quiet village or some small home on your own property that nobody notices, so to move to that from that to a dangerous big city that was that would have been a tough choice to make. So most people were choosing between staying comfortable on the outskirts of town. Relative ease, relatively unnoticed, raising families, maybe in a lifestyle that they would prefer, or they could choose to uproot their families, move into a city that was being rebuilt, face enemy attacks, and basically start over with a new life in a place with more problems. That's the choice. So now you might see how Nehemiah is having trouble getting people to say, I'll live in Jerusalem. Yeah, I'll volunteer. So he comes up with a plan uh, to repopulate the city. Him in the Jerusalem Chamber of Commerce, Commerce, which I'm sure had just been you know, organized. They have an idea to get people back. Look at Nehemiah 11. One, it says, and the rulers of the people. So the rulers dwelt in the city of Jerusalem. And the rest of the people also, it says, cast lots. To bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. So you know what they essentially do? They start a draft. I mean, they were, they were going to draw names. And one out of every ten people um, is going to have to move into the city of Jerusalem. And whether you wanted to or not, this would have been thrust upon you. If your name was drawn, call U-Haul. It's time to move. I mean, that doesn't sound very appealing, but it's just part of your responsibility as a citizen in Jerusalem. It would have been a little bit like the way the U.S. government drafted men into the military during the Vietnam War. I mean, we might even have some here who were drafted to fight in that war. The mentality of those getting drafted, it may have been similar to what is happening here and that they're saying, uh, you know, that's not really what I would have chosen to do. But there's a second group of people. I understand those. But there's a second group of people that caught my attention in reading this. And this is what I want to focus on. This is a simple message tonight. I hope that's okay. Are you good with simple? Okay, or I can make it complex. So let's go simple. Verse 2, it says, And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. See, there arose a group of men that volunteered to, to move to Jerusalem. So among the nine-tenths of the people that lived outside the walls, some were, I believe, divinely moved of God to uproot their families, leave behind their old lifestyles, say goodbye to some friends and family, and move into the heart of the battle, right into the thick of it. They, they, weren't, they weren't the ones saying, leave me on the outskirts. They were saying, I want to be all in. I want to be right in the middle ...of the action. They moved into the heart of the city... ...of their own accord. Now remember, leaving, or moving to Jerusalem... ...meant leaving your land... ...giving up an old life... ...doing something more undesirable... ...and moving closer to danger... ...and hard work... ...and yet there were those so compelled... ...that they volunteered to do it. And I would never really noticed it before... ...but it caused me to think... ...about God's work... And how some seem to be drafted. And in being drafted, it's not really the choice they would make, but they're going to do it because, well, they were drafted. And yet there's a spirit of some that says, whether or not I'm drafted, I want to be in the middle of the action. When it comes to God's work, I'm going to willingly offer myself to be in the middle of it. You know, this is quite the thought some willingly offered. There were men leading their families, folks, to be so committed to the work of God that they were willing to leave their homes, to leave their extended families, their livelihoods, their family businesses, their security, their comfort, their familiarity, and put their lives literally at risk to move into Jerusalem. They chose, they chose danger over desire, they chose risk over rest. They wanted to be as close to the action as possible. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when you go, if you've ever been to a a professional game of any sort of an athletic event, um, it's no fun to sit in the nosebleeds. Now, for the most part, that's all I've ever been able to afford. Okay, like I think every sporting event you take binoculars because that's where I typically sit. But you know where you want to sit? You want to sit right in the middle of the action. If you're going to watch a, a basketball game, you want to be courtside. If you're going to watch a football game, you want to be on the 50-yard line. If, you, if you're going to go watch hockey, I don't know who, who really watches hockey. I'm not a big hockey fan. I don't understand. I can't even follow the puck. But if, but if you're a hockey fan, you don't want to be far away. You want to be right close to the action, don't you? And it's amazing how in sports or in other things, in other arenas and areas of life, people want to be right in the middle of the action. But it seems like when it comes to God's work, most people would rather stay on the peripheral. I mean, the one area of life that we should want to be in the middle of the action should be God's work. And yet we want to stay on the peripheral. And and I, I just, I really admire these men for wanting to be close to the action. And here's part of it. The fact that it was dangerous, it didn't matter because it meant to them, they got to be near the temple. And you have to think that for many of these that willingly offered themselves, it was because of the spiritual activity at the temple. And see, it's this. In other words, they were more interested in spiritual things than they were temporal things. To them, the reward was worth the risk. And it, I think it's a little bit like the, this whole, the whole COVID-19 thing. And I, and I know it's not wise for certain people that might be at high risk with certain health conditions to be in a public place. I get that. But for the rest of us, you know what? We've decided that the risk is worth the reward. Because being in church far outweighs any risks we might face. And I'm thankful to be in a church that's decided that because the truth is freedom has always come with a risk. I mean, if you want the freedom to drive a car, I mean, that is freedom. But every time you get on the road, there's risk. I mean, not just the Sioux Sioux Falls potholes. I mean, drivers, you know, people not paying attention And I'm thankful that plenty of people willingly take risks to be close to the action when it comes to to important things. And when you apply this to a church, it takes people willing to set aside temporal benefits for spiritual blessings. They're they're willing to give instead of save. And every week when we have our offering and we walk out the doors and and we put something in the offering plate, I'm thankful for a church and I try to be mindful of it. I'm thankful for people that could be spending their hard-earned money on something else that the world sees as valuable, but they're willing to set some of that aside to give to God's work. Willing to give instead of save, and you know, if we if you start like we, I do that sometimes, and I think you know, if we if we didn't give this amount every week, I mean, can you imagine the house we could afford? Yeah, okay, I mean, we could have a, a, another car with under two hundred thousand miles. I mean, we, there's a lot of things you we could go on better vacations. You know, literally, those are things that if you stop and think about it, you know, that's why some people don't give. Be, because they're, they're thinking about what they might have to give up, but I'm thankful for those that willingly offer themselves when it comes to giving to God's work instead of saving or putting it in retirement. And listen, I know those things are wise, but when you invest in God's work, there are eternal rewards. Uh, willing to invest time in ministry. I'm thankful that every week we have some that sacrifice their personal time to study for lessons and visit their classes and do ministry outside of church time. I'm grateful because there are a lot of things that you could be involved in and yet you choose to give your time to God's work. I'm thankful. Willing to offer their services at, at times instead of charging the church. You know, we've got a number of people that do that have special, special uh, abilities and, and not superpowers, but they've got, they've got skills technical skills and you know and they give those skills to the church and the church benefits greatly i mean i think about all the ways that that we our bills would be different if we didn't have volunteers willing to give of themselves i'm thankful for it you know we all have so many things we could invest in during the week and i'm thankful for those willing to offer themselves because they see the value that comes from serving the lord And this principle also shows up, you know, in our families. And I'm thankful how families treat something uh, like treat church. And maybe they we've got families, and I know that have struggled through this, and they've got an opportunity to move, and they've got a better job on the other end, And, and yet they stop and think, wait, wait, where's the church? What church are we gonna be a part of when we move there? And they start doing research and find out there's not one reasonably close. And so the dad decides to take less money so that they can stay in a good church for his family rather than take the paycheck. He says, no, spiritual benefits are more important than the temporal things. Willingly offering. It means putting spiritual priorities above everything else. And I'm just gonna ask you then, is God's work at the center of your life's activity? How about your family? Do you consider the church and your family decisions? Is this part of your weekly life? And you know, I'd love it if, we, if families at Eastside were at the church more during the week. I mean, it gets pretty lonely, doesn't it, Judy? I mean, we're up here and, you know, it's quiet. And, and I just think sometimes I think, well, you know, what's happening during the week? I know life gets busy, but, but I mean, there should, you should have responsibilities at Eastside that cause you to maybe be at the church more than just on, on church days. Re, I mean, s- responsibilities and ministries and, and, and it'd be, be good to just have it be a part of our life. And, and I don't want to point anybody out, but I know uh, I was talking to uh, the Mara's family, talking to Gabby and, uh, about camp this year and they had a vacation scheduled when, when we gave them the camp dates and they changed their vacation dates so their kids could go to camp. I'm telling you, I, th- that's a huge deal to me, Amen. Brother David. I'm just, I'm, I'm just thankful for that example. Amen. Because it means that, that the Maris family sees the value of the spiritual investment in their kids. And they're going to say, no, we'd be willing to make an adjustment. And eat, whether or not we've got something scheduled, we want our kids to go. I'm, just, I'm grateful for that example. And I think we, more of us ought to be thinking along those lines you know, that, that God's work is a priority, even in our family's life, and we're going to adjust our family to God's work, not the other way around. And there were others, and so there were plenty who did it so they could be right there near the temple. I think there were probably others who did it to support Nehemiah. You know, they willingly offered themselves to support God's man. And I don't want to be self-serving about this tonight. It's a principle in God's word. God doesn't miss it when we support and give our loyalty to the spiritual authorities in our lives. And listen, it's not just because the spiritual authority, and, and I'm going to throw myself in that category. It's not because the spiritual authority deserves it. It's not even because he demands it. It's because the position means a lot to your spiritual life. And God has placed that man in your life and made it clear that you are to get behind him. And no, what nobody else answers to God for your soul like the spiritual authority in your life. And that's a hard thing to preach about. I mean, but I'm just I'm just thinking about why somebody would say I'll willingly offer myself. And I happen I imagine that if there were some men who, when Nehemiah came along and said, "Okay, guys, we're going to take a, we're going to draw and we're going to have a draft, and some we're just going to have to select to come and move in." And somebody looked at Nehemiah and said, "No, my spiritual authority. His desire is for for men to populate the city. And whether or not this is what I want to do, whether or not I'm even fully understanding why I'm going to." say, that's, that's the spiritual authority in my life, and I'm just going to get behind it because I know that God placed this one in my life to lead me, and so I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to willingly offer myself. And listen, and it, plenty of people struggle with submission to leadership because they may not agree with everything, and I completely understand that, but I honestly never myself felt like that was a good, very good argument for me. Because in area of preferences, I may not always have understood or maybe even agreed, but I didn't struggle to submit to my pastor's leadership because I knew God had put me in that place and him in that place. And I viewed it as submitting to God because God put that leader in my life. You know, it helps, it, it helps you to, to submit to the spiritual authority in your life when you don't view it as submitting to a man, you view it as submitting to a position. And God's over that part. So some they wanted to be part of the temple, they wanted to be close to the temple. There were others that wanted to be close to Nehemiah, they wanted to support him. And then I'm sure that others did it because they wanted to be close to the fight. <laughs> they wanted to be in the middle of the action. and they wanted to be there to, to if there was a fight break out, then I'm going to be there. And some guys are like that, aren't they? Every time there's a fight, there's somewhere around. it makes you wonder. They wanted to be there to protect the city. They didn't want to miss the activity. They, they wanted to observe the city grow, and they wanted to be a part of it. And it says something about a person's heart for the Lord when they just want to be involved in everything. And somebody says, I don't want to miss a thing. I'm going to be there. I mean, it, listen, I believe there were some that you just couldn't keep away from the temple no matter what. And we need members like that. We need no matter what kind of church members. I mean, no matter the, the weather, and they're going to try to get there. I mean, it, I'm not, I'm not saying it's always reasonable. I know it's not. But, but we had some folks here this morning, um, up in their years, the Vermomes, and they come on Sunday mornings and they made it out this morning. I think the Vermomes, if they could, they aren't able to make it to every service. But when the weather comes, they're no matter what kind of members. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, we need some no-matter-what members when it comes to serving in your ministry. And you say, no matter what, even if, even if things don't go my way, even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to do my responsibility and I'm going to serve and I'm going to be faithful no matter what. In spite of the weather, in spite of how I feel, no matter what, I'm going to be in my spot. Some people, are they just can't help themselves. I mean, there's a need in this ministry, I'll do it. There's a teacher needed there. I'm all in. There's, a, there's help needed um, to set up or tear down. I mean, I'll do it. I'll be the first to jump in. I'll be the first to sign up. I won't let that announcement go on too long before somebody volunteers. I'm going to be the one. I'm all in no matter what. Now, folks, don't be someone who waits to jump in when someone has to twist your arm to do it. And our heart for the Lord should drive us to want to be in the middle of the action no matter what, and it may not even work out for you to do it, but God will bless your spirit to say, I'll be, I'll be the one. I mean, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God sees it. He sees the spirit that says, no matter what, I'll be, there. I'll be the first to volunteer. And I, I think others probably volunteered because they just had a heart for God's work. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart. And if you have resistance, friends, to willingly offer yourself for a need that would further the work of God, what does that say about your heart for God? If there's resistance, and, and I'm not trying to be hard tonight, I'm just trying to get you to ask some important questions. When I think about uh, the, the kind of descriptions that I desire for people to talk about when it comes to my children... I pray that people will say about them, well, you know, they have a heart for God. And I I can't think of a greater compliment than they have a heart for God. But how does your heart for God express itself? It expresses yourself with how you serve and how you deal with other people and what kind of fruit of the spirit you exhibit. And listen, our love for God will be revealed in our willingness to offer ourselves to him. You know how Jesus Christ proved his love to us? But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, what did he do? Christ died for us. You know, what you could say Christ willingly offered himself Amen. for us. God's love for us was proved by his actions. And I don't know all the reasons that these men and women and families willingly offered themselves, but I know this. God appreciates those who value spiritual things and who support God-given leadership and who have a heart to be close to the action and love God above all things. So how willingly do you offer yourself for God's work? To be willingly offered. Willingly. It starts with our motivation. Willingly offered. In other words, they they had a heart to do it. So I'm asking tonight, do you serve out of obligation or out of love? See, to be willingly offered means your motives are right. Right? So I'm asking you tonight, are you in your ministry because of your love for God? And if you're not in a ministry, what does that say about your love for God? Do you prepare for your ministries because you love God? Or do you do it because you have to? Well, you know, I'm here, I've got to serve, it's got to get done, so I do it. Is that the spirit that you find yourself approaching ministry with? Or do you find yourself thinking, no, I love God to the point, I love him first, I want to do my very best in this, and I'm going to do it this week, my very best. Is there a willingness to give up time and, and put in effort and sometimes even sacrifice part of your personal life for the work of God? Or do you begrudge it when a sacrifice is required of you that you didn't sign up for? Because I don't know if you knew this or not, but when it comes to church work, I mean, there's you don't get paid a whole lot, and you know there's plenty of times in church work. And my wife just did a devotion on Tuesday at the ladies' meeting, and I wasn't there, but she preached it to me before she went. So um, (laughs) altar call and everything, I I responded (laughs) because she told me to. (laughs) You know, her, her idea was spend and be spent. You know, that's ministry. Is that there are times when you get to choose how you spend your invest your time. There are other times when someone comes along and you don't get to choose it, you're spent, and it's not on your terms. And both of those, Paul said, are valid ways to serve God. And there will be times that somebody comes along and they require something of you you didn't offer and they spend you and it wasn't even on your terms. And you have to decide, no, listen, my motive is I'm doing this for God. So no matter what happens with this other person, I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm not going to let it hang over my head. I'm not going to let it turn into bitterness between me and them because sometimes you get to spend, but there are other times where you're just you're spent. And are you going to begrudge that or are you going to say, no, when I told God I'm willing to do whatever it meant, sometimes people are going to spend on you. And so if you say, no, I sacrificed myself, I said, whatever it is, God, whatever it is that you want, you were saying yes to everything. Including at times being treated unfairly or being treated in a way that you don't think is right. And listen, I'm not saying that should happen at all. But I am saying when you volunteer, when you willingly offer yourself, you don't get to come up with the terms. So are you willingly offered? Because I'm not sure that it counts the same if we offer, but we do it with the wrong spirit. Because the last I checked, our motives matter to God. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes to husbands and wives and children and families and employees and every other category of person. And he says, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Jesus or the Lord Christ. That's what it says. So, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. You don't serve men, you serve God. He's the one that controls the inheritance. You serve the Lord Christ. So, listen, if we're going to really pay attention to those verses, then if you're going to go through the motions in the Lord's work and not be willingly offered, there's a chance you don't get to enjoy the reward. Because God is looking not just at what we're doing, He's looking at why we're doing it. Our motivation matters. Our motivation down here matters for our rewards up there. So as we just go through the motions, be careful because I think we're probably putting ourselves in a position to be sorely disappointed when we stand before our Savior. There's a whole, there a whole segment of people in the New Testament that just went through the, mo- the motions. They were the Pharisees, and they were most often the target of Jesus Christ preaching. So willingly offered... ...is the best way. Don't, don't serve God because you, drew the, you feel like you drew the short straw. I mean, if, you ever, if we ever get to the place where we serve God in some area... ...and we're thinking, well, it's because nobody else really wanted to do it... ...but I get, I'll just do it. I mean, that's the wrong motivation. You know, the worst job you can think of for God... ...is of great value to God... Don't minister in the children's ministry just because someone guilted you into it. Don't invite somebody to church because, well, I'm going to get asked about it, so you feel forced to do it. Don't be manipulated into helping in ministry at Eastside. Willingly offer yourself, and that's always better than reluctantly offering yourself. Well, I'm still doing it. Yeah, but it's not the same to God. See, listen, the answer is not just, God, get me out of this ministry. No, it's most often, God change my heart and a lot of times when it comes to we're just going through the motions we think well if god would just change my ministry and yet god wants to change your heart about the ministry see willingly offered it means doing the undesirable thing for the greater good and listen it's not always desirable but doing god's work means you're willing to deal with some risks Life in Jerusalem is dangerous, and to engage in the Christian life, sometimes it means risks. And I know we're not in a country right now that, that's all too risky for serving God, although we're seeing that, that that's happening a little bit more these days. But inviting somebody to church, you know, if you invite a coworker to church, there's some risk involved in that, isn't there? I mean, whether or not we say, well, that's not very, you know, that's not a real good faith to say, well, that's risky. No, there's risk involved. They may not like you afterwards. And they might yell at you and they might be unhappy with you. I mean, again, to have them be unhappy with me here is better than having them be unhappy with me when we get there. But there's still some risk involved. You just have to decide if telling them about Jesus is worth the risk of them rejecting your message. It's a risk, I know. But listen, if they respond to the message, the reward is completely worth the risk. Standing for God at work, standing for God at school, kids, i mean, those of you that go to school, if you go to public school or even Christian school and not everyone has a great testimony, when you stand for God and you say, no, I'm all in for God and I have a testimony for God, that's risky and there's a chance you're going to be laughed at and you may be singled out and that's a willing offering. And I'm just going to encourage you to do it. And plenty of times in my public school life as a high school kid um, that, that people laughed at me for where I stood for God. On the other hand, there are plenty of times where I didn't have the best testimony and nobody noticed. And you know what I would wish I would have done more of now? I wish I would have stood for God a lot more than I did just kind of blend in in the background. It's risky at times. There may come a day when just coming to church is risky. And I don't just mean getting sick. I mean, we may be at risk Legally, we have to decide if we're going to have a willing offer, willingly offered mindset or not. Folks, if we're not willing, I'm just going to ask this or say this. If we're not willing to offer ourselves for God's work in this local church right now because of risk or because of inconvenience, what makes us think we'll be able to withstand the pressure of persecution? Life in the middle of the action means Leaving behind your desires and dealing with some, not just risks, but also some inconveniences. And you may have to give up some things, some free time to work on a church project. You might have to give up a Saturday for a work day. And you might have to get used to spending part of your Saturday mornings in discipleship. And outreach and you may have to get to church earlier so you can be here before your class or to help with snow removal, which, by the way, I never I never get over the fact that men come early and take care of the snow. I'm grateful for it. It's a blessing. You know, you may have to go without to give to missions or, or to give to, we talked about last week, to give to a building fund on top of the tithe and missions. And listen, and listen I think that's a biblical thing to do. The end of verse 10, chapter 10, it says, we will not forsake the house of our God. They gave and they gave and they gave to the house of God. And I'm just asking, I mean, if you're tithing, that's great. If you're giving to missions, that's great. But, but if we're going to not forsake the house of God, it'd be great someday to pay our building payment with just money that comes in for the building are you giving toward that i would ask that you would consider doing that you know like i i mean they didn't want to forsake the house of god that's a willing offering and it might mean sacrificing some some of your earthly treasure where you invest your treasure indicates the location of your heart it's inconvenient sometimes it's a sacrifice it means going without but it's a it's a willing offering So do you regularly and willingly offer yourself to God for his work? And you say, well, what's in it for me? Well, he obviously blesses us with provision and reward when we put him first and we do it with the right motivation. But sometimes I think we have it backwards. See, we think of sacrificing for God because of what we gain. But we forget we've already gained eternity. See, meaning we shouldn't serve God because of what's ahead. Although that's valid. I mean, serving God for reward, it's a biblical reason to serve. But I think our greatest motivation for serving God is for what's already happened. And the fact that we can look back there and we see a cross he died on. See, we shouldn't serve God just because of what we'll get. We should serve him for what we've already received. His death on the cross in our place. Romans 12, 1 says what? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Again, what's the motivation? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by what? By the mercies. The fact that Jesus Christ hung on a cross. And was ridiculed and shamed. And laughed at and mocked. And he hung there naked for the world to see. And he died right there in front of his mom and his, I mean, in in all of these people. And they buried him. Nobody cared about him in in those moments. I'm thankful he rose again, by the way. But you know, those mercies are what should drive us. It's not just about, oh, how many crowns do I get? Again, that's a motivating reason and it's valid But I think we shouldn't be so driven by what's ahead and we should be driven by what's behind. The fact that Jesus Christ has already given us heaven. He's already given us more than we deserve and we consider his willing offering. My willing offering shouldn't be too much to ask. So are you willingly offered to the work of God? How invested are you at Eastside Baptist Church? Are you willingly offering? In other words, is your motivation right? Are you willingly offered in that there are plenty of areas that you can look at and say, I'm giving of myself sacrificially. I'm I'm taking risks and I'm taking on inconveniences so that I can serve God. Are you willingly offered to the work of God or do you hesitate because of those inconveniences? Do you hesitate because of those risks? Um, Or are you all in? If we had a draft... And it came down to people, oh, these are ministries that need to be done. These are things that need to be done. This is outreach that needs to be done. These are people that need to be reached. This is discipleship that needs to be done. These are lessons that need to be taught. And these are workers that we need. And there are schedules that need to be filled. Uh, when it comes to that, if it came to that, and we, we were going to draw straws, would you be um, in the, huddled among the group saying, okay, please get a long straw. Please get a long straw. Or would you be looking at the rest and saying, you know what, forget all that. Hey, you know, if that needs to be done, my hand's up. I willingly offer myself. I'm not going to wait so the pastor has to kind of drag out the announcements for a few weeks. I'm going to just raise my hand and say, I mean, whether or not somebody approaches me about it, listen, if there's a need, I'm all in. I'm willingly offering myself. And listen, I I pray that that and I think it is for the vast majority of Eastside Baptist Church and I'm grateful for it. But listen, what could God do with the church where everybody was willingly offered? Where 100% of Eastside Baptist Church full of people that with this is this is how we are. My hand is up. No matter what's being asked, no matter what needs to be done, I'll do it. And listen, it may take some sacrifices. You may have to adjust some of your schedule. There may be some risks involved. There's certainly going to be some inconveniences. But when you consider what's already been done for us, that the willing offering, the greatest willing offering has already taken place, then our small willing offerings shouldn't be quite as hard. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I encourage you to respond tonight, but... I'm going to start saying it this way. Only respond if God has spoken in your heart to some degree. But if he has, respond. And maybe there should be some willingness on your part to offer more of yourself. Or maybe you haven't been doing it for the right reasons and you want to get back to do it out of love and not obligation. I don't know how the Lord may have used it tonight, but I encourage you to respond. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word. I thank you for using it in my own heart. I pray that you'd help speak through it to us and help us to respond in a way that pleases you tonight. Help us to be not just, uh, will, just not just offering ourselves, but willingly. And not just doing what needs to be done because someone twists our arm, but because we love you and our motivation is right be willing to jump in and be in the middle of the action. Follow the pastor to, to do it because we love God and to do it because we want to be close to the service of God. Lord, speak, work, in your, work as you will, and change us. Lord, transform us with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.